Welcome, everyone. This is Mac on the Rock, WSQF 94.5 for the Concrete Conservative Show. Obviously, everybody's thinking of the same thing, that here we are in the in the season of Lent, and you can't help but to think of terror in Paris as the Cathedral of Notre Dame comes burning down. So, Well, uh, we don't know that it's terror yet, but there have been 60 incidents of Christian churches being attacked this calendar year in France, and that was observed by the uh, some of the deputies in the National Assembly. So there's a good reason to suspect that Muslim this terror. Be, yeah, an attack right. on Christianity. We don't have a con- confirmation now, uh, yet. Un- but. Unfortunately, simply because of the obvious insurance concerns, I don't think it can be a terrorist attack from the paper public relations standpoint because it has to be probably an insurable piece of real estate, or is that stuff self-insured by the Vatican? Who knows? No, it's not owned by the Vatican. It's a local parish, no. the diocese. So the diocese, but it is the sitting... The city of... Uh, it's the Archdiocese city, of Paris. But it's still the sitting seat of the Archbishop of France. Right, right. Of, of Paris. Of Paris, not of all not of France. Not of France, no. There is no... I don't think there is such a thing. Okay, so what makes you think that it's... That's the archdiocese is, is it's not the same as the United States. What makes you think that it's not Vatican insured or self-insured? Because the, the French church is independent of the Vatican. All the archdiocese, when their buildings collapse or uh, hurt or they dam- get their own insurance. So it's all regular local insurance, state insurance. Typically, that would be French. Yeah, local insurance. Yeah, that would typically so be who, the case in France. Well, oh, we're getting beside ourselves. It probably, who would insure? A building there so are people that do that. There are people that uh, insure relics. Yeah, no, insure churches and people that make loans for churches. Right, but so, modern modern structures, not these. This was like oh, a le- yeah. this building was built like an eleven eleven twenty yeah eleven sixty. Wow, no, it's they, so sad. They man. can still do it. So that famous that famous statement. Uh, do you know the origins of the famous statement, Mister Ed Victorious Vidal, of Paris is burning? Is there a historical reference? Yes. During World War II, when the Americans and Allies were advancing on Paris, uh, Hitler gave the order to the commanding general in Paris to burn down all the historic buildings. And the general didn't do that. He evacuated Paris without burning down the buildings. In fact, the Paris police uh, rose up against the Nazi occupiers just when the Americans, and there was a French armored division that was designated to liberate Paris because the Allies wanted a French army unit to do it. And the, the German general refused to carry out the orders from Hitler. So the, the word kept coming from Berlin, is Paris burning? That was a question from the Fuhrer. Oh, fantastic tidbit. See, that's what you get here on the Concrete Conservative. <laughs> we always have Victoria. That's why he's Victorious Vidal. No, I read about that in high school, yeah. Look at that. That means I didn't learn anything in high school. Which, you know, I can easily go down the rabbit trail about reinventing the public school system, but I won't. If you'd like to call us toll-free, it's going to be tough today because we have two callers. But anyway, we, we always... three callers. We all need to um, know that we do have a toll-free number, 844-645-WSQF, and then locally, 305-365-7777, better than a taxi. So we don't know what's happening in Paris, and we don't know who said it, but it certainly looks very suspicious, and there is a track record this calendar year of attacks on Christian churches in France. And, and with 14 million visiting a year, it's very easy for any terrorist 
to go in there with a backpack and a camera and look like he's a tourist. Well, especially if there's construction, you can set, you know, a can of paint on fire or whatever. Like you know that here in the hardware store. There's always flammable things lying around. Well, we have to have a disclaimer site. here, uh, county ordinance and city ordinance, that parents have to call in to the hardware store for the kids to take out spray paint. How about that? Oh, really? <laughs> it's like an anti-graffiti. You can't or- sell spray paint to, to minors. minors? Yes. That's you have good. to. You have to have your parents call, and they'll call us. Or tell the kid, imagine he grabs his own cell phone and calls his parents, Mom, they won't sell me the paint. Or Dad. And Why do they, they have to buy spray paint? Oh, for home decorations and stuff like well, that? No, it's usually arts and crafts stuff, stuff for school projects and stuff. That's exactly why we ask, because we did have issues with graffiti um, years ago, and it subsided. One of the positive things I can say, uh, uh, graffiti has subsided. And Here in Key Biscayne. On the island, yes. And it was like a five-year stretch of mm-hmm. graffiti showing up here. And oftentimes, I hate to say it, but... You know, you like to think it's the friends of Cuba Scanners and it's their friends from the mainland who provoke these kind of things. But, but it's the locals, huh? Uh, but, yeah, when the, some of these graffitis were uh, investigated, yeah, they were indeed Cuba Scan kids. So, a bad bunch. A bad bunch. Well, but that seems to have gone away. So tell us a little bit about our guest today. Well, let's see what uh, Ari's going to call. But he's a litigator with the Institute for Justice. And he was going to talk about their cases, especially taking on the administrative state. Institute for Justice has it's a not-for-profit has called us uh, on more than one occasion. Very enthusiastic about our show. We we'd love to hear from them because only on WSQF Concrete Conservative will you hear these legal yep. cases about yeah Justin Pearson fighting is, uh, the regulatory state of the United States here. government. We also had calls from the New Civil Liberties Alliance in Washington. And they're taking on a case against the city of Coral Gables, which is uh, 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 videoing all your car license plates for no good reason. For no reason. We we have them on the island. In fact, I said it back then that our community put up the money to do that on Mashta Island, Uh of which I participated in as a member and board member. Has it cleared up all the crime? Uh, Quite frankly, coincidentally, the next uh, three crimes or two crimes, two or three crimes, of products being stolen from our doorstep after UPS drops them off. Right. Or Federal Express or, you know, DHL, whoever you want to call, or the U.S. Post Office. The people who have been stealing have been able to get away because the camera that is located in an un- unsuspecting place, so I will not disclose it, it's kind of obvious, right. but uh, doesn't catch them because they happen to be down, either for down the road or for computer maintenance, and they're connected to the police department's both in the mainland and here. So just just ironic that they seem to know when or how these things mm-hmm. are not working, and sure enough, they hit us. So you wonder. You always wonder. It must be an inside job. <laughs> an inside job, you know? Just like the, the the Notre Dame Cathedral burning. I had to think terror. I know the news said a construction fire, yeah. but... Our, our guest is uh, going to be calling, and she's been following it all day, and she says it's too early to, to call it. So and not to mention, not, a lot of the evidence is going to be history because the fire not, was incredible. Conclusion. Yeah, I mean, just incredible amount of. I, I was watching early on over over right before it was two two something when it first came on on the news, and my God, just the turret was lit up like a candle. But my God, it got really it, it just a just a turret up there at the top. And the fire just moved quickly, man. It kept on moving and moving. Those are old buildings. You know, they they probably go up pretty quickly. Unbelievable. Up in flames. And uh, 
also read uh, uh, an article about a closed-door meeting that Oregon of Turkey had with Omar, the congresswoman. Oh, Elon Omar? Yeah, and apparently uh, a lot of misfits were attending this meeting. Misfits? You mean terrorists? Yes, CARE and those folks. Yep. And, no, CARE was founded by Hamas. By well, Hamas, yeah. Yeah, Hamas. And the other one was the Brotherhood, which is the... the Muslim Brotherhood, yep. Yeah. And those organizations were also in attendance. Mm-hmm. And the word got out. So my question is, who let in people like Ilan Omar? Well, you who know, let who, Turkey who, into NATO? Well, that was that was 1950 for strategic reasons to block the Soviet Union from getting access to the Mediterranean. And the Turks... And they ended up getting it anyway by no, going... No, no, the Turks showed well, they, their... Well, Crimea, Crimea no, gives the, them access. The Turks showed their good faith by wanting to join NATO by sending troops to Korea. There were Turkish troops fighting with the United States in Korea. This was Turkey showing their their good faith. Remember, Turkey was a nationalist, secularist, anti-Muslim state. Ataturk specifically tried to wipe out Islam from Turkey. He wanted it to be a nationalist Turkish uh, place, not a Muslim place. So that's what we have. Let's so who, we who, who restored the Muslims? Erwan. Wow. Well, Let's change the subject. Harry. Welcome to the Concrete Conservative, WSQF 94.5. I'm Mac on the Rock with Victoria's Ed Vidal. Please let us know who we're speaking with. All right. Li- libertarian litigators against the administrative state. My apologies for the delay, gentlemen. No problem. No, on radio, there's never a delay. As long as you show up, everybody else forgets what he and I just said about five seconds ago. So okay. only the guess is important. So tell us, what, uh, what is the legal lawsuit you're working on? Uh, well, I, I think the first thing I should do is report a, a victory uh, secured by my colleagues Justin Pearson and Dane Schulstadt, uh, who successfully uh, obtained a preliminary injunction against the city of Fort Pierce, Florida, for a restriction prohibiting food trucks from operating within 500 feet of a brick-and-mortar restaurant. Wow. Oh, congratulations. So that's a victory for small business. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's a victory for small business, and it's a blow against protectionism. The purpose of the law was 100% to protect a preferred segment of the industry at the expense of uh, a segment of the industry that politicians didn't like as much. And we proved it in court, and the judge agreed. So once the injunction takes effect, um, our clients will be able to start operating wherever they want. Now, uh... Are there any restrictions when you open up a food truck next to a uh, brick and mortar? What your menu can be? Can it be uh, identical to the person you're, you know, parked right in front of? And well, you can't always park right in front, but you, you generally just can park anywhere where it's safe. Um, and in some cities, they put restrictions on on the menu, um, or they'll they'll limit your ability to operate near someone selling something similar. Um, but I don't think that's what Fort Pierce was doing. They just said, hey, regardless of what kind of food you serve, um, you can't be within a certain distance of a brick-and-mortar restaurant. And, you know, it's not for nothing. We don't, we don't make it illegal for a Burger King to open up next to a Wendy's. Um, yeah, in fact, that's what they do. They cannibalize each other. They, they, they move in they right across the street. <laughs> that's why I like Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> anytime you see a fast food place, you can guarantee the competition within a block. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the free market at work, and may the best burger win. Absolutely, and I, I'll thumbs up to that. <laughs> All right.
Okay, Ed, uh, let us have it. You, uh, you've you got so many notes on your notebook. For no, the f- no, no. I was just wondering, uh, what, what have you, so what have you guys done against the administrative state? That's where I, I want to go. Um, well, I, we don't often sue uh, big executive agencies, but when we do, we pretty, we pretty much go big. Um, I was co-counsel in a case, this is going back a couple of years now, mm-hmm. um, but this is one of our bigger victories against the Internal Revenue Service. Okay. Uh, do, you guys, do you guys like the IRS? Oh my oh, God, yeah. go ahead. You get, you get to have two full hours. What I won't say a that? word. Did you, get, did you put Lois Lerner in prison? Uh, no, we, we didn't do no? that. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, but she she resigned shortly after our lawsuit. Ah, okay, I don't okay. good. With anything related to that. Well, I was but a victim of that same. Right, because Manny was uh, applying for an FCC Federal Communications Commission r- license for this radio station, and he really? was held back because of I his couldn't get the nonprofit political status. V- political views, right? I, I was I was given uh, a time frame. To because uh, what they issue you originally is a permit to build. It's not the actual license. You got to prove that you can build it first, with all the other re- or re- local requirements for the, where the antennas could be located. But in the process, you have to uh, start the motions of getting your F five hundred one C three nonprofit status because that's the license that was issued to me, the permit I should say. So now I'm getting close to. Uh, I'm already uh, committed financially. I'm. Starting to, to draw up the documents uh, and the architectural drawings, engineering drawings. Investing and the millions in this studio, right? Yeah, and the tremendous amount of money that was spent here. And, and I just couldn't get the IRS to respond to my right. 401. So when they finally called well, me back. How did they know that you were a conservative organization? So you didn't have Tea well, Party? Well, I was, I was Tea Party way before that. No, pers- but did they publicly. know in your, in your application? I, did, no, I, I didn't, I didn't disclose. You just said WSQF. Well, I, I gave I gave the only thing that was had an inkling was just the word politics. Okay. I had to put I had to be honest, and I wanted to be honest, quite frankly, and nothing to hide. So I said, you know, arts, humanities, local, uh, and and national politics. Right. So and that's and top that's, radio is conservative. And then it was just pretty obvious to me that uh, by the questions I was asked, that I was either trying to be intimidated or. Uh, there was basically imposing legal fees up upon me because I would have to go seek counsel. Hell, I did this the old-fashioned way, legal zoom. You know, I grabbed the yeah, legal right. zoom form and did it the, the way I I thought they I have should. A form for getting an FCC license? Not the or, license, the five hundred one C three. Oh, five hundred one C three. Good. Separate the two. They're they're two different agents, two different bureaucratic states. I was just at a conference with a legal zoom lawyer. He was telling me about all they're doing. They're they're going big. Yeah, they uh, they're expanding uh, the horizons. They're uh, in London now, and now they're destroying the five hundred dollar attorney. So watch out, no, no, guys. There's other. There's different Stay clients. under the table. There's different clients for that. Yeah, notice how his voice uh, went up in volume. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now one of the so, rules. one of the rules here in the Concrete Conservatives is that I'm allowed to uh, castigate, criticize. Make fun of attorneys since I'm a layman here, yeah, that's and right. I have, we have a lot of attorneys, and Ed's an attorney, but so his son, one of, his he has son, to take it on the chin. His son and uh, I just defend the common man. Oh, okay, good, good, good. You know, but so, Eric, what did you guys do to the IRS? Uh, well, thank you for asking. We um, we ended up suing them because they wanted to require, despite not having any statutory authorization. Uh, tax preparers to have licenses oh. in order to be able to do things like help people 
do the simple act of preparing a tax return. You know, simple act for a, a person who, you know, doesn't have tons of assets or things right. like that, regular folks. In other words, they can complicate the tax return all they want, but you well, can't ask for a professional Harry, assistance. Let me ask you, was, Why where, are you interrupting me? Because I want to ask him. H&R Block, where were they at? What side were they on in this case? Well, they were actually in favor of the regulation. Right, right. There you they're are. the ones who get hired. Right. People who were actually being hurt by this were your average mom-and-pop tax return preparers. Yeah, that's often um, what happens. Who, that, who either work in their neighborhoods or they help out friends and family. Um, those were people who were going to have to get tons of... Uh, continuing education training, pay for the license, take the exam, and it was only going to hurt the people who probably would have not used anyone if they couldn't use these folks. And the problem with the uh, with the regulation, and I might lose you for a second because I'm getting on an elevator, the problem with the regulation was that Congress has to give an agency authority to do something. And if they don't have the authority, then they can't do it. And the IRS didn't have the authority. They were looking at a really old statute. And they said, okay, well, here's one way for us to see if we can do it, you know, using a statute that was actually passed after the Civil War so that Union soldiers could get their horses back. Mm-hmm. And they went ahead and they, they, they passed the regulation, and we challenged them, and we sued them, and we said, you don't have the authorization to do that. If you want to pass this license, if you want to have this license, you've got to go ahead and get authorization from Congress. And they didn't get authorization from Congress, and so it was unconstitutional. That's well, great. and that was... Um, it wasn't a widespread uh, IRS uh, complaint against the private sector, was it? Or did you guys file no, this lawsuit because no, it was there because it was? No, there were no there were no complaints. In fact, these people were providing a valuable service. And uh, you know, where does that get you? You know, it's interesting, Ari, that a lot of times established businesses are in favor of regulation because they create a barrier to entry for competitors and newcomers. That is precisely right. It's one of the things that we fight against most often. Um, it's, it's a behavior that we commonly refer to as rent-seeking, yep. where you, you take your business and your friends and you form a lobbying organization, and then you go to the Capitol and you ask your friends in the legislature to pass some regulations that are going to make it harder for your competitors to go into business. Uh, well, we have that in commercial right. radio. All, all in the name of public health or something. Yeah, common sure. You come up with some, you know, excuse for why this is necessary. Right. People are going to be hurt. or you know, Usually people are going to be hurt is the explanation that you hear. Or consumers are going to be duped or, you know, the quality provided won't be as high if you don't require an occupational license, for example. Um, and it just makes it harder for people to go to work. So we're working on that right now in the Florida legislature. We're getting very close to making progress. Uh, making Florida a more more welcoming state for business, and um, we'll see how that goes. Well, I'll tell you, it, uh, going back to radio, commercial radio really has a problem with us low-power guys only because we have subject matter that might interest people instead of cornball commercial radio programs yeah. that are very popular. But people can listen to us online at wsqfradio.com. Forward slash live. And also on satellite at Radio Garden. Radio.garden. Radio. www. It's really cool because our Radio.garden, again, uh, there's private sector at work. Here, our Radio.garden folks allow me to be a dot, the only dot on Key Biscayne, so you can zoom into the island of Key Biscayne off the coast of Miami, and you'll see that I'm the only dot. You park the dot with your cursor over the dot, and, you, and all of a sudden you're hearing us live, but they benefit off mm-hmm. the the ads that are sure. on the website. I don't. Now, what areas is the Florida legislature uh, working on regarding, I guess, occupational licensing? Where where do you think they're going to be uh, liberalizing and loosening up? Uh, some of the areas 
areas that are looking now are places where we tried in the past. Or, you know, interior design one is, is something that always comes up every year. Okay. Um, this year we're looking at reducing the, the hourly requirement to become a barber in the state of Florida oh from, God. I think, 1,200 hours to 600 hours, uh, which is still an astounding amount of time. Yeah, you need to, to, go a to license. learn how to be a barber. You need a license um, to be a barber? Oh, absolutely. Not only do you need a license to be a barber, you need one of the hardest to obtain licenses in Florida. Oh. I, I calculated it out, and I think I actually spent less time in a classroom to become an attorney right. than barbers have to spend in order to uh, be licensed barbers in the state. Well, Manny is interested in hair braiding. Just as bad. Manny wants to start a hair braiding in, uh, business. He's, he's just jealous that I have more hair. Well, he's probably going to have to become a licensed cosmetologist. Right. It's going to take you another twelve hundred hours an exam, a license, and all those okay. schools and all those schools that benefit from the teaching of that for that license. All the schools are going to benefit from the teaching of that license. It's, uh, it's often using the federal grant programs. Uh, but the kicker when you're coming when you talk about uh, braiding is that after all of that, after all that education and all that money, nobody's going to actually teach you how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> they don't a, teach it in the school. They don't teach it in the school. You need the license, but they don't teach it. Well, one what, thing, what one thing I teach at the school: accounting and how to finance. keep the how to keep the person from hitting uh, hitting the ears. Political economy. Make sure you're not cutting off ears. Now, right. uh, uh, is is there ever a time where over licensing is also an issue, but not the you know outright uh, uh, abandonment or abolishment of the license itself? Because uh, I have a real estate license and. Quite frankly, it's it's a nuisance, nuisance every year, for every two years to have to be renewing the light with a continuing education exam. And it's very tedious because it's not much of an exam at all. How many hours do you have to put in? It's about twenty hours, and it's just, it comes in a workbook. Obviously, very few people, obviously, going to sit there for twenty hours. You actually can. Uh, you can do it online. You can do it online as okay. well as. Uh, it's probably best to have it sent to you in the mail so that you don't have to have a clock on the mm -hmm. 20 hours. Right. Yeah, that's a real nuisance to sit around for 20 hours. That's a full mm -hmm. day, you know. So you got to keep on going back to the online page to answer questions so that it appears that you're sitting there for 20 hours. And it's insane because the it doesn't really make a better agent. It doesn't even... Is that uh, different from real estate mortgage brokering? Mortgage? Yes. Yeah, that's very, so it's different. It's very different. Okay. I, oh, I shouldn't say very different had I not... Have I not taken the mortgage exam? I can't okay. say it's incredibly different. The original real estate exam is a tedious exam. It's uh, it's passable. Uh, if I can pass it, anybody can. Mm -hmm. So I can't say that it's super hard. But the original exam I can see only because you are going to negotiate, a, you know, the biggest asset most people own in their lives. So I understand the the ethics and the the reality behind or the the intent behind a real estate license. But once you've got it and you haven't committed any kind of ethics violations and you know and you have a clean record, why every two years you got to take some exam? It's only an opportunity to it's forget about it. Yeah, to forget about it and then find yourself with a great real estate deal to feed your family and you can't collect the commission because you didn't take that stupid exam uh, every two years. And that's well, what usually usually stuff like that is in place. I mean, if we're setting aside the most obvious, which is to make sure that that you're up to date on things if you're in a field like medicine or law maybe it's important but um for real estate you know they want to they want to have an excuse to throw people out of the profession for not meeting their needs and another group that often pushes for a lot of these regulations as you touched on before when you were talking about barbering um are these schools that teach the classes that's an industry unto itself right. um, the people who are fighting the hardest to stop the deregulation of barbering for example 
are not just existing barbers, but the schools um, who don't want to have their profits slash in half because the education requirements are now 50 percent what they used to be. Yeah, that's that, that's the that's the real messy part of democracy. Now, since we do, since we uh, we talked about the uh, the most important thing being barbershops and the second most important thing being the Internal Revenue Service, what is what's uh, what do you see coming coming to the fold? And is Florida going to be a trailblazer, or are we just following the lead in the next big legal case against the bureaucratic state? Um, I think Florida has the opportunity to be a trailblazer. I think that there are a lot of smart people who are working really, really hard to make the state uh, more free, more competitive. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of that being reflected in the way people are moving across the country. Uh, New York is losing population while Florida is gaining it, and there are a lot of different explanations for why that might be true. But I think one of them is the economic opportunity. Lower taxes, smaller government. Um, I think that's stuff that people want, even though they And you can't deduct uh, your income tax. <laughs> Trump's tax cuts eliminating the deduction of the state income tax from your federal income tax. That, that's got to be driving New Yorkers to Florida. Sure, sure. And any other state with a high income tax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many states do have the income tax? This is a question well, for Andy. The really high ones are Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, uh, California. California. Now, Illinois has yeah. not had a high income tax. In, in, uh, it's you know five percent or so. But the that's new a, governor, that's pretty high. The new governor this year is raising it and making it progressive. So you have to pay a higher rate as you make, you more, make money. more money. So you punish yeah, wealth. So he's going in the exact wrong direction, and you can see that it's driving people out of California and New York, and Illinois has been losing people. For the last, you know, five or ten years, so it's really self-defeating. Not only self-defeating, but it's a tenant of the Communist Manifesto, the Progressive Income Tax. Did you know that, Ed? I did not know exactly that. But oh my God! Yeah. How about that? I thought the Communist Manifesto was that the government would own all businesses and property. Well, maybe at the end, at the uh, at, at the, the end, end. Game, at the end game. But yeah, Progressive Income Tax is one of the tenants of the Communist Manifesto. I don't know. Why that isn't a more important news? That should be like a news alert, but it is. It's in there. You can read it, and you see right. progressive income tax is a creation of yeah. the manifesto. Now, Ari, where, you, where do you guys recruit uh, your lawyers? You guys go on law, uh, law school campuses, or uh, we do. I'll answer this one, and then I'm going to have to leave you guys. Sure. But, um, the uh, we we do a, a kind of an all of the above approach. A lot of law students know about us, and they reach out to us. Right. Um, a lot of our attorneys frequently speak on law school campuses, and so we get well known that way. Right. Um, people see our cases, and they and they want to come here, and they work and they work here. And, and we also just by word of mouth, we let people know who are like minded. Hey, the Institute for Justice is a really great place to work. Yep. Um, application uh, is really competitive. Right. And the interview process is tough, but you know that's that's how we acquire and and. Uh, amass really talented people to be able to litigate these really important cases. Now, is it you find it to be a fantastic stepping stone to be just a litigator at, uh, at a larger firm later on in your career, or do you expect... Not, no, no, that's not how it really is for most of us. This is a destination job. A lot of people leave the big firm jobs to be able to come to the Institute. For oh, Trump. that's but, very cool. That's very important except, for the... Except for Clint Bolick, who was their general counsel. He's now on the Supreme Court of the state of Arizona. Well, that's right. a, that's a reason enough. There, so you might you well, might find him on the Supreme well, Court somewhere. Well, guys, thank you for having thank me. Thank you for calling. Thank you very much. All right.
Yeah, that's an important group of people. We have Would a lot of. Would you remind the audience who we just spoke we to? We talked to Ari Barger, who is a litigator with the Institute for Justice. These are libertarian public interest litigators that bring cases on behalf of individuals seeking greater freedom uh, in their business. For example, today we talked about food trucks in Fort Pierce being liberated from uh, oppressive regulation. Uh, they also took on the IRS with respect to tax preparers licenses. That was and a now well the star of our show, Tamara Colbert from the Convention of States, North Texas. North Texas, letting us is. know how we're saving the nation. Hello, Tamara. Tamara, this is Mac on the Rock, Concrete Conservative, ninety-four point five. We're here. This is the what we call the piñata section or the segment of our show yeah. where we just party, party, party because yeah. COS is. Kicking, yeah. you know what? Tamara, hey. congratulations. At this rate, you'll have 15 states or what? 12 more states by the end of the year? Well, that's our optimism, absolutely. Yes, it's uh, it's so exciting, especially after a year of uh, well, being shut out. A, a year and a half before we got one in January, and then this year we're getting one uh, each each uh, month. So that, yes, it's actually been, um, and technically, if you really want to look at it, it's three in six weeks. And right. a part of that, I would like to attribute that success, is that these three states have spent the last 18 months doubling the size of their grassroots, doubling their statewide meetings, right, going out in their districts and holding meetings and speaking before every group that will hear them. And then there's a third component that's really been key, and that is that in all three of these states, the grassroots have done something new that we've never done before. What's that? And it's been working this year, and that is that our grassroots have been writing handwritten letters. Okay. Whoa, that's cool. I read yes. that cursive is coming back. And so that handwritten letter has made all the difference. And in fact, let me tell you a quick story in Mississippi, which is the last state and most recent state to pass just a couple of weeks ago. Um, there, the letters to the lieutenant governor, who in the state of Mississippi is also the president of the Senate, yep. and basically no bill gets to the floor without his approval and he received so many handwritten letters from our grassroots they couldn't handle them all and they had a huge we have grassroots our state director saw this a huge box that was bringing in letters on a daily basis and he happened to be there one day and saw this huge box like a big ups size box of letters being delivered to the lieutenant governor's office. So this has been a new twist, and it has really worked and, in fact, made all the difference by multiple legislators in both Arkansas and Utah telling us as well letter writing made all the difference. Well, isn't that a beautiful thing, that people matter, and it's because of our handwriting? Cursive. We're going to have cursive <laughs> classes at convention love. Well, you know what? Letter writing is truly a lost art. Yep. And then number two, to write a letter, the process in today's, you know, immediate environment, you know, social media, Facebook, Twitter, what have you, that writing a letter actually takes thought. Yep. It takes multiple actions because you don't only have to write the letter. You have to look up the address 
Then you have to get a stamp somewhere, and then you have to drop it in a mailbox. So, and spelling errors. Right. You don't want to have a typo. I, I read that millennials were not uh, sending in their absentee ballots last year because they didn't know where to find a stamp. How about that? It's, I, I, you know what? It could very well be true, you guys. I, I have no doubt. And so we, uh, it has just really been a treat because what those legislators, what the committee members, what the lieutenant governor in these states that have passed have seen in the letters is an authenticity knowing that those letters have come from their constituents. And and in all the cases, those letters all started with a thank you for your service to our state and our community. Something these legislators again and again and again, some who told me personally, they had not ever received a letter other than someone, you know, yelling at them or cussing them out in some cases. So pretty extraordinary that in this day and age, a simple handwritten letter of, you know, courage yep. asking that legislator to support something has made all the difference in all three states we passed. Okay, so yeah. which, now let me uh, let me ask you, which state will pass in April? Well, we are, you know. Don't you have your crystal ball Kentucky? there, Kimmer? Could Whoop. be Kentucky. Could be North Carolina. I I don't know. I know it could be South Carolina. I yeah. know that in all three of those, it could be Nebraska actually, right. because we're waiting just to get the get out of committee now. There could be Kansas. So we've got five states right now that are all in play, all with the grassroots actively working, showing up in the capitals. Um, doing rallies, continuing to make calls and show up in district offices for legislators. And so, hey, we could enjoy um, a one-two punch over the next month. Great. Now let me ask you about a couple of states where we had some unexpected reverses last year. I think Iowa and Idaho, if I remember correctly. Yes. How are we doing there? So um, Iowa, we are done for the session. Okay. This year in Iowa, um, you know, again, there are one or two people that are able to raise so much havoc and use these kind of outdated and and cheater type of scare tactics mm-hmm. that are still, unfortunately. Um, putting fear in legislators who do want to support us. And mm-hmm. it is amazing what one person has mm-hmm. the power to do. Um, Idaho, same thing, although we made it a little bit farther in Idaho this year than we did last year, so that was a good thing. Okay. Um, I think Wyoming is another perfect example. You have a state of 300,000 residents. Yep. Um, voted one of the freest states in the whole entire country, and you literally have a handful, probably five or six people that happen to be influencers in the state that literally can scare the Charles Dickens out of legislators. Yeah, uh, because their country is free. Their state is free. They think they're a country, basically. You know, I don't know what it is, but it's, you know, it's been very frustrating to our Wyoming grassroots, but I can tell you this, again, Sometimes this happens for a reason, because when you start getting to this point and we start getting, we had a lot of visibility, a lot of media in Wyoming this year, 
and that has helped us now continue to raise our grassroots and um, it it is possible we could double our grassroots in Wyoming by next year again so even though we don't pass what we are seeing happening is a conviction among our district captain leaders, among our state leadership team, who just really shore up their resolve to do more. And they've also been watching Utah, Arkansas, Mississippi, and some of these new techniques and how they won. And I can tell you that some of the states that aren't moving forward now this year for one reason or another are actually looking and communicating with those successful state directors to, again, try to master those techniques, learn what they learned, what worked. And um, and I love that about our grassroots. They have the ability to do that, and that's pretty significant. There aren't many movements where you can still do that. So you're betting on the grassroots. I never well, we always, we always have. The grassroots. Okay, yeah, I think we've, all, we've always bet since the beginning we've you know, bet on the grassroots factor, and i certainly respect the grassroots and that's essential but one other factor in the three states that passed is that i think all those states had uh conservative legislatures and conservative governors who were pushing other uh parts of the conservative agenda like tax cuts and yep. tax reform and i think the convention of states idea got caught into that uh general overall push for these uh ideas for limited government and well, so, but you know what? I think there's also a really huge factor. Um, okay. I'm going to call it the Green New Deal. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, and God. And a lot of this insanity. I mean, right. there's no better word to use than insanity right now inside the Beltway. Right. You've got the Green New Deal. You've got actually record spending. This should make every single American's blood boil, the crazy spending. And I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, because there's been as much, if not more, spending under Trump as Obama. And, you know, this is where the buck has to stop. And this is where Convention of States really, under under the Convention of States application, can make it really tough for the federal government because of our fiscal responsibility component in our resolution. And that gives we, the people, really an opportunity to, to recalibrate the fiscal insanity happening in Washington. Well, I think that's great because I think people are, are looking for something to hold on uh, and, and check the growth of spending in Washington. This is a way to do it. That last budget killed us. It was very hard All to sell conservatism yeah. when the Trump budget Yep, I agree. Was, he was hoodwinked by Schumer, who got oh these guys. Well, Not Paul Ryan that, and Paul Ryan. Oh, Paul Ryan. And, you know, I think. We, about, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. Worst thing about what they did with the budget was they put more funding in for Planned Parenthood right. and the yes. teeth behind Obamacare, mm-hmm. and uh, it's very hard. That for was us. Paul Ryan. Well, he's gone now. So, yep. You know what I mean. And what about uh, Cocaine Mitch? Maybe he needs a, a primary opponent in Kentucky. You know what? I, I I just here's the thing. The bottom line is, and I'm not telling you anything. You two don't already know through your hard work and experience. Washington D.C. is a bubble, and everyone, whether you're part of the bureaucracy or part of the Congress, that bubble makes them feel invincible. Yep. 
and makes them feel entitled to your money and my money, makes Mm -hmm. them feel entitled to do whatever is best for them, not for you and me. And when you look at our founders, they acted on the boldest political vision in the history of the world and staked their lives, their fortunes, and sacred honor on the conviction that the people should be sovereign not a centralized government. And so Convention of States gives the people that opportunity to rise up and reassert their sovereignty. And I love that. That's why you can't ever count the grassroots out. Not only that, but it uh, gives us a reason to wake up in the morning. But being said, why is it the bubble that it is? It's Amendment 17. Well, that's a big part of that's it. That's yeah. part of the bubble. That, if you that, can't recall them from exactly. the states, you should be able to yeah, tell well, your senator, the, hey, we don't the, like how you're behaving. The state, legis- the state legislatures, which are the closest to the people, have been neutralized. They're not part of the federal system anymore. That's right. Well, and you know what's really interesting is I'll, uh, here's another a recent example was Mississippi, but all three of the states that passed this year Somebody who was opposed to Convention of States got up on the floor, and Mississippi was really a highlight because there was a legislator that during our our floor discussion right before we passed, um, and this gentleman mentioned, we can't let the federal government's money go away. What? I mean, he was desperate. Yeah, like if if the federal government earned the money. Yeah, well, well, that's how people think. Known as a receiver state. So right. there are giver states and receiver states. Texas is a giver state. Yep. For every dollar we give, we we basically get nothing almost back. But a state like Mississippi is a receiver state, yep. right? Yep. And so this legislator was doing everything shy of begging. Like he was just trying to to say his piece, so it was on the record to show that he supported big government. Yeah, and big federal government. It was sad. He was groveling at the feet of this big tyrannical government for money. And the best part is one of our one of our legislative supporters. He got up there and said. Mississippi can make it on our own right. if we just put in the mechanisms to attract business here and to help people understand how they can get educated and right. get into different programs so that they can make it themselves. And I thought that is it. <laughs> the American dream isn't, hey, I can't make it on my own, so give me a handout, food stamps, and all these other government subsidies. Give me a break. Yeah. The American dream is pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and making your own success. Self-reliance is essential to a freedom-loving yes. people. Absolutely. Yeah, desire to be self-reliant. All right, I got a good story for Mississippi. Of course, I always got this uh, educational, you know, uh, bent. But yes. Uh, but anyway, in Louisiana, they created a tax a taxing district to... Pave way for school choice when school choice was unheard of. Okay. okay? Yeah. And they created this ta- taxing district in Louisiana and it moved kind of quickly. No one really knew uh, about school choice other than on uh, the upper Northeast that had school choice since 1979. But this is now in the 80s and okay. it, the tax district ends up getting passed 
in the 90s. Well, lo and behold, the hurricane blows through. Oh, right. And all these public schools are leveled. Guess what? The taxing district saved them because immediately there was a, a mechanism for the state to give charter school developers the money immediately to uh, erect on those same foundations, literally, all the schools in New Orleans, all 50 of them, all those parish schools, those kids would have, been, would have been out of school for two years had it not been for school choice and charter school developers. Well, guess what happened in Mississippi? How many schools, after being hit by the same hurricane, were built in that same uh, 18-month time frame that they Probably built? Probably none. One. One. <laughs> because Mississippi said that was just another ploy to segregate schools again. And there goes the narrative. And Mississippi fell behind, and those schools are probably still on pads. Well, you know what's interesting? I'm so glad you brought this up, Manny, because one of the, the – just when you think after five and a half years and, and being in all these different legislative committee hearings and floor discussions and that, that you have heard everything the opposition could say or use against you, the new argument this year and in both Arkansas and Mississippi in particular, the AFL-CIO – Southern Poverty Law Center. I mean, some of George Soros' big dogs. They had press conferences, right? Right after the committee hearing in these two states. And basically came out and said, if you pass the Convention of States legislation, you're going to um, go back to slavery. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, and and, and that it still works is even more unbelievable. Well, it didn't work. So see, here's the beautiful thing. You know why it didn't work? It didn't work because over the last 18 months, our grassroots have consistently called, shown up to meet in person their state legislators. And by the way, both in Mississippi and in Utah, the last two states, guess what? Our legislators were receiving more calls from their constituents than calls from the opposition constituents. And in fact, in Mississippi, the AFL-CIO, Southern Poverty Law Center, and these opposition groups decided to flood um, flood legislators' offices with out-of-state phone calls. Wow. And yeah, that, that we hear a lot about in elections. The of states people were legitimately their constituents and lived in the state. Yeah, that, 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 that says everything. I mean, that was a real, what you just explained was a real sense of straw balloting. I mean, that, that's a real straw poll. Well, the Southern Poverty Law Center has been recently discredited with all sorts of internal uh, misbehavior. And money floating off over over the As I say, the Southern Southern Poverty Law Center is neither Southern nor poor nor law-abiding, and they're they're getting their comeuppance. And you know what? Isn't God awesome how he has a way of exposing the cockroaches? Yep. <laughs> Bring me light. Yeah, I just, I just felt that way coming out of well, the movie. You know, uh, one of oh, the, you are, are, you know, you're misbehaving. Okay. Put food in your mouth or something. I got pretzels here. I'm trying to say <laughs> something. He's interrupting me. All right. Um, speaking of how God is great, I, I saw the movie Unplanned about the abortion clinic, and the, the last scene in the movie was... That after everything this woman went through, who was obviously a pro-choice person most of her life, she had two abortions herself, and uh, at the end at the end of the movie, you see, I think I haven't verified this, but you you see the uh, the my pillow guy 
uh, yeah. bulldozing the Planned Parenthood sign at yeah. the end of the movie. So, so they brought down the clinic, and guess what? Guess who took over the clinic, the facility itself? The, pe- the people that were on the fence, the evangelicals who were fighting them. How about that? That became their office. Now, that is God is great. That is God is great. And I just love it because truth is light, you know? And so whether as we continue to move as Convention of States and in general as people of faith, um, lovers of our country and freedom, when we walk in that truth, there is only so long those cockroaches can, can operate in the darkness because the more we expose people to truth that is like shining a spotlight of liberty on all the corruption all over the place and we have been living in darkness i think for the last 50 years between the abortion lies between the waste fraud and abuse of the of the a taxpayer dollars. Here we are. On and, this, and also the Supreme Court cases that the, have upheld the separation of church and state. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so when I look at all of that, and I am starting to see this light. There's more and more light that's being shed, and it is with the left getting darker. When you look at the stances, they are willing to murder an unborn child mm-hmm. as it's being birthed. Okay, let's be clear. They are okay with a mom murdering her unborn child as it is coming through the birth canal on the child's birthday. Yes. That darkness is going to find a stopping point. And I think the tipping point is coming back around, and I am seeing more light. And I think as we get closer to 2020, the Democrat Party is going to get so dark that we're going to see just these um, gazillion points of light coming from Americans all over the country. Well, I won't be satisfied until Governor Cuomo is excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church. Well, you know, uh, Tamara, the Convention of States is not only advancing the Convention of States uh, resolution and petition with the state legislatures, but I think we're also creating an army of citizens for self-governance. Absolutely, right, because that was the founder's intent. Again, it goes back to sovereignty. We have no teeth in the Tenth Amendment today. Why is that? Because, again, through the last really 50 to 60 years of giving up these little tiny liberties, and one of the liberties we've given up is the massive federal debt. And so along this route to giving up these little liberties, whether it's, corruption, whether it's the deep administrative state, whether it's our debt, we are, we are struggling. We've given up that sovereignty. And the Convention of States is really trying to raise up an army of self-governing citizens, re-educating them, allowing them to get out and, and educate their friends and colleagues and, them, and the people they influence to try to get that new, exciting, next generation of liberty-loving Americans. And and I'll tell you, the grassroots, they're on fire. And well, you know what it. we really need now that you told us the, hand, the handwritten stories? Yes. I think uh, we should go into the schools and have the kids, uh, you know, not the kids, sorry, a ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade yes. seniors no, write these handwritten letters saying, hey, since you guys screwed us, we're here to tell you, stop it, and we're going to fix it. Please pass the Convention of States because Absolutely. it's not our <laughs> fault that we're in debt. It's your fault. I love it. 
<laughs> that would be a great, uh, great handwriting campaign because I think the adults need to have the comfort knowing that their kids can still write because I'm not so sure they can. <laughs> I totally agree with you. <laughs> and you know what else? What a great exercise for young people in this um, generation, this next generation. What is it, Generation Z? My, my our oldest son is a Gen um, is a millennial, and our and our twins are Generation Z. And what's really interesting is my boys. I, they right now think they could be vice president and president, and they're trying to figure out who's going to run for which position. But it's really funny because, you know, there is nothing that they don't think they can do. They think the whole world is at their fingertips and that they are so smart with technology and what they can do. And I really think that for those of us that have been part of the overall self-governance movement, it is Generation Z. It is our children who are going to be the most conservative generation moving up. They are valuing life even today, and they know more about liberty than what since uh, the, the greatest generation. So, so, in other words, we basically got to keep on eating fifty percent of their ice cream, and they'll get it. Absolutely, we just got to keep it up and keep doing what we're doing and supporting groups like Turning Point USA. Young Americans for Liberty yep. and these types of group groups, and I think those groups are, and together, multiple generations working together, walking the halls and working with legislators to educate them on the Constitution. There is no wrong answer with that. Yes, yeah, I, ne- tweeted, next, uh, next I tweeted. I uh, tweeted yeah. Charlie last night after seeing Charlie him on. Kirk? Yeah, after seeing him on the, on Steve Helton's uh, Revolution right. show. Yes. He was on last night, yeah. And he wasn't allowed to speak because time ran out. So I reminded him of when I met him, and I sent him a little 10-second video of him and I together with Candace after the Nova campus class wow. at Nova High School. I'm really hoping he re- he replies to me because I asked him to do something in that meeting about our uh, our direct ballot uh, parent trigger law here in Florida that our state is the only one that has it. And I'm asking him to shout it out on his platform so that Again, now uh, I'm reminded of this handwriting letter campaign. This is a perfect opportunity for me to suggest that as well. And I show them the little video that we've met. You know, it's a video, not a photograph. So I'm just praying he he replies to me. I mean, I must have tweeted him 10 seconds after that segment. Next week we're going to have young people calling in on freedom of speech. Yeah, because we have Diana Sixto here, the Florida chapter. She's she's awesome. Yeah, she's here all the time with us here on Blink Radio. And, and we, uh, have, we have uh, Laura Loomer, who is a free speech... Uh, and Paulina. Anna Paulina's Paulina, called here, too. Anna Paulina from Turning Point USA. Oh, we love Anna Paulina. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And by the way, next time you have her on, she she is a Convention of States supporter. Yep. Yes, they're all coming now. Now you have a tidal wave of support. Oh, man, Anna Paulina is awesome. That's a perfect people we need to solicit Turning Point to write these handwritten letters. Yeah. I and then we totally have a, agree. a guy who's graduating from college in May, Eddie Norette. He's a local guy with a lot of media experience, 22 so, years old. So we're blinking, darling. Thank you very much for your call, and keep on calling us, please. Thanks, you guys. Thank have you. a great, blessed week, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. We'll Thanks see you so in much. Williamsburg. See you in Williamsburg. All right. Big hugs. Bye-bye. Bye, gentlemen. Yeah, that's. Uh, uh, I think we just connected a tremendous dot there, Turning Point USA. Handwritten yep. letter campaign. Uh, Adriana, get me Charlie ASAP. Candace said the other day, I saw her TED Talk before Trump was even elected, 
and she was talking about digital media, about being abused as a high schooler. Uh, three people made threats to her. One of them was the son of the existing Connecticut governor at the time. Oh, yeah. How about them apples? And she said something Daniel really... Malloy. Well, it was her son that was threatening her. Right. Her life. I mean, the harsh, harsh uh, uh, um, voicemails that she was able to show the police. Hmm. And uh, she realized right then and there that uh, we're living in a paradox. She called it a miraculous paradox. And she said that as a human race, we have never been more connected or further apart. And that's a profound statement because these kids that believe they can accomplish anything through technology have to realize the paradox, which is you're close and yet you're very far from each other because you can't replace well, we, we've warmth had, we've and had human a interaction. and civility. Yeah. Um, and so all this great technology shows how much less civility there I would is. prefer you to rephrase it as, our generation has given the next generation a poor example of yes. civility. Yes, And therefore, the foundations of the American reality could be Crumbly. cracking. Well, never know. Just cracking. Don't give up. So uh, you know that Paris is falling and burning, and Ed told us what that meant. But Europe is basically uh, where American could be heading if we if yeah. Convention of States doesn't succeed. We have to get to the amount of states to call this convention, the 24. And then how many of the states uh, to call the, uh, to actually pass? 38 to pass. 38 to pass, that's to right. Call. 24 to call. So we're at 15 30. states, and uh, she had another five that we could see uh, by the summer maybe. So that would be 18. No, 520. So we'd be at, if we were at 20 by the end of this year, that would be a very good uh, spot. Yeah, you would see the U.S. government, uh, U.S. Congress, all of a sudden starting to pass our stuff just so uh, that we don't convene. Pass out from, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. No, many people do predict that if we even get close to 24, right. they'll just say, what do you guys want? Well, not this Congress. Not this Congress. I don't think there's any difference between one Congress and another. Well, I think... I used to be totally bullish on on everything Republican and conservative, and then I realized, wait a second, these people don't want me. <laughs> right. They don't want me in, they don't want me in their party. I, look, man, I've learned a lot in, in, in from 2013 to mm -hmm. here. Sure. I've never seen, and I want someone to show me otherwise, but I've never seen a one-man marching band like myself mm -hmm. getting the face not only in... Enthusiasm, passion, and purpose, but actually in timing. For once in my life, I can honestly say my timing was correct. Meeting Ron DeSantis when I right. did, DeSantis, uh, yeah. being able to have a face to face well, with the governor when I did. What do you think of DeSantis's uh, education policy, especially Richard I don't Corcoran? Think, I don't think of any of those things because it means nothing if you don't amend the direct parent, parent okay, treaty so law. That's the key. Well, you saw Steve Helton last night. Mm -hmm. They're all saying the same thing. We have to put parents in control. And yet, they don't tell you, how are you going to well, do you that? Should, you should write to Steve uh, Helton, or I should get him to call in. I think the magic Victoria's Vidal should take over. Steve Helton, I don't know if I can get him. But uh, you're right. It's it's the right the lady, the, la the lady who was making the big statement against Ed Cruz's sponsorship of a bill to kind of redefine how the government would give money to the states for mm -hmm. education, she came to the conclusion, that's a waste of time. What are you doing that for? The, the, you know, the government's not effective at anything. Right. They never touch the child. They don't know what an address no, of a child. No, but they provide a lot of jobs for unionized government bureaucrats. Yes. That's the point of government spending. Here's someone that child. we could get, and I, I took the picture of her when she came on the screen, 
Her name is Joy Pullman, with two N's and two L's, Executive Director of The Federalist. We can get her to call into the show. I can convince her to do a story about what it took and what it's taking to change and amend Florida's Parent Empowerment Law 1,233, Clause 3B. on the books, but it needs to be cleaned up. Cleaned up? It needs to be chopped in half, meaning half the, right. half the people voting can't vote, which are teachers. Right. They can't vote. They're not stakeholders. All the teachers that were against me here on, on the island, right? all of them, yep. what percentage are still in the school? Right. No, they're just passing through. They're, it's like... It's a job. Yeah. What did the what did the superintendent do when he thought that I, I might be rearing my ugly head because he knew that I uh, was going to appear in the federal law, civil rights lawsuit? Mm-hmm. Um, anybody wants to... Any attorneys out there, go to... Your log, what's it called? The log of the Quora Law Review or something like that that talks about the cases? Mm-hmm. Well, in the F- Fernandez Cristobal versus School Board of Miami-Dade County, you'll see a case which the school board won, was not heard, because the principals mistakenly asked for punitive damages. And guess what? They were never, even though they were expelled from the school, sent away to other schools and other departments within the school district, they always had their pay. Right. So the freedom of speech was not abridged, first of all, because they were employees of well, the school no, if district. You're, if you're employed by the bureaucracy, the school bureaucracy, you can't go against it. Right. That's the end of the story. And it's the same case as the NFL players not being allowed to kneel, except for the fact that me saying that didn't help me one bit because I got egg on my face because the sports guy, mm-hmm. Frankie, yep. on Blink Radio, who is our, our basically our workhorse here in the studio because he's Monday through Friday. All right. And I'm only here spontaneously because for lack of having a, another Victorious Vidal, I need a co-host. Now we're getting more more uh, programs for you, I hope. Yes. Well, he pointed out to me, guess what? Nonviolent protests were penciled into the right. most recent labor union contract right. with the NFL. So the NFL had to shut up and take the kneeling. But the NBA can require players to respect the flag and baseball as well okay it's only the nfl who fell for that why because mongo goodell is goodell a progressive is a progressive republic well he's probably a progressive liberal but his father was a progressive republican and who uh who was ousted in his re-election during the nixon administration what, was, dad, the, uh, what was his position <laughs> he was a congressman from damn. Okay. Fuck, you got me victorious. I am the loser here. I don't know. Now I, I got to go run to Google. I don't follow the NFL that closely. but Well, Goodell's father, I followed the story. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I couldn't repeat it on the air. But I looked into Goodell's dad. His di- Goodell's dad was uh, basically a Nixon hater mm. during his reelection. And in 72? In the midterm election of, I think, 74. Oh, or well. perhaps the midterm by election then, of Nixon, 70. Yeah, okay. Because he lost be. his re-election by being an anti-Nixoner. Mm. And I believe it was Ohio. Okay. I'm going I'm to let you talk for a little bit since you've been interrupting me yep. all day. Yep. I'm going to give you the f- full form while I Google Goodell's dad. Never mind, guys. We'll get it at the, the nation, end. The nation must prevail. Concrete Conservative. Mac on the Rock, yes. 94.5. Who do I have a pleasure to speak with? You're speaking to Ed Vidal and myself. Mac on the Rock. Hi. This is Claire Lopez calling in for the show. Okay. Thank you very much. You are now live on 94.5 here in South Florida. So, Claire, please tell our audience uh, where where you are based and who you work for. 
Sure. So I am the Vice President for Research and Analysis at the Center for Security Policy, a Washington, D.C. think tank uh, devoted, as our name suggests, to issues of national security. What are some of the people connected with that think tank? Is Frank Gaffney connected? Yes, Frank Gaffney is our founder and currently now our uh, executive chairman, uh, Fred Flights, is our president and CEO. So the, the area of concentration that you guys are most uh, dedicated to is what for our audience to understand? Well, really, any matters of uh, national security, uh, threats to national security. Um, so we are um, focused on issues in the Middle East. Um, one of my own particular focuses is Iran. Uh, we uh, look at our uh, national uh, defense in terms of the military, um, a special um, focus on the security uh, of our national civilian electric grid and the threat yeah. to it. Uh, from uh, EMP, mm-hmm. whether the sun or a hostile nation attacking us. Uh, Frank Gaffney has recently set up a new organization called the Committee on Present Danger China, uh, which is uh, intended to, uh, to monitor, um, to report on, um, and uh, to uh, uh, counter the uh, existential, eventually existential, right. uh, national security threat from the communist regime in Beijing. All right. Are you also connected with Pamela Geller? No, we're not. Uh, she is uh, an awesome and uh, fantastic uh, colleague, but not uh, connected, not a partner to CSP. Okay. All right. Now, let me let me ask you. One, we have a, uh, an audience, especially down here in South Florida, that's very interested in the Venezuela situation. And I thought one of the things that you were able to contribute is that you are very knowledgeable about the Middle East influence in Venezuela and uh, throughout Latin America. For example, I've heard that there's now a direct flight from Dubai to Tegucigalpa in Honduras. So maybe you can tell us about that Middle East. You know, Manny is falling off his chair. What? Are you <laughs> kidding me? So maybe you can I, I tell us about that. But, um, in the meantime... Um, so, yes, um, I, I should have mentioned uh, another one of uh, my particular focuses um, is the uh, Iran and Hezbollah um, presence and uh, malign influence throughout the Western Hemisphere, not just in South America, but also Central and North America. Uh, one of the things that I do um, is uh, participate in training courses with John Guandolo, Understanding the Threat, understandingthethreat.com is his website, and we teach classes of both civilians and uh, law enforcement, focusing at the local level because we think that is where the most effective uh, response um, to the uh, the overall um, threat of the Islamic movement um, is best concentrated. And I created um, this uh, a, 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 a full training um, segment um, for his course uh, about Hezbollah, uh, which uh, came to the, uh, the Western Hemisphere um, really riding the vector of Lebanese, southern, especially Lebanese Shiites, fleeing the Lebanese civil war between 1975 and 1990. Hezbollah got a very good foothold at that time. Uh, in what's called the tri-border area, a place where 
Argentina, Brazil, and Paraguay touch, yep. uh, and that particular overlap area is just and always has been uh, poorly policed. All kinds of criminality went on there even before Hezbollah got there, but they got their foothold there. Then they expanded throughout South America uh, during the time when uh, the presidency of Iran's uh, President uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad overlapped with the presidency of Hugo Chavez in Venezuela roughly about 2005 till 2013 when, when Hugo Chavez died of cancer. Um, a very strong relationship was built and Hezbollah and Iran uh, also um, got got a lot of benefit out of out of that close and continuing relationship with Venezuela. That continues to this day under Chavez's successor, Nicolas Maduro. Is the is the uh, vice president? And uh, in particular, uh, Hezbollah became involved, especially as as U.S. and other sanctions bit down hard on the Iranian economy in those years just before leading up to the, the, the Iran nuclear deal in, in 2015, um, Hezbollah was, was left with less Iranian money and funding and, you know, support than they'd had previously, and they really uh, ramped up uh, their involvement in narco-trafficking, especially cocaine and, and other drugs out of Colombia. And they used Venezuela as a transshipment point. There you go. Some went east across the Atlantic for eventual customers in Europe, uh, but other uh, other shipments went north. And Hezbollah um, was deeply involved with that, worked closely, still does, with the Mexican drug cartels uh, into across our southern border, built tunnels, um, just like the tunnels across the northern border of Israel with Lebanon or the uh, Gaza uh, border with Israel in the south same kind of tunnels. Um, and uh, Hezbollah absolutely has a, a very broad-based presence in the United States uh, in terms of operational cells that, uh, as I said, involved a lot in criminality, especially narco-trafficking, but also in intelligence gathering, pre-attack, casing and surveillance of targets like American landmarks um, or also uh, Israeli uh, presence here, our, the, the, the consulates that are um, uh, uh, around the United States and the personnel, the Israeli uh, diplomatic personnel um, assigned to those um, consulates uh, are, are under uh, hostile um, surveillance. Um, and also, of course, the Iranian opposition in particular, uh, the Mujahideen Kalk and its political umbrella group, the National Council of Resistance of Iran, uh, recently U.S. Um, security uh, different agencies working together um, uncovered and stopped, uh, thankfully, uh, a Hezbollah-Iran uh, plot uh, to surveil, and again, pre-attack, uh, casing and surveillance of the Iranian opposition in this country. So uh, maybe, uh, you know, in a nutshell, that, that is what we're looking at with, with Iran and Hezbollah in America. Is wow. the vice president of Venezuela a Middle Easterner? Uh, you're probably talking about um, uh, Tariq, uh, what is his last name? With um, uh, he, he is a Syrian. Uh, I think that is whom you're referring to. Yep. Um, and uh, he he, he uh, is very deeply embedded in the Iranian or the uh, the Venezuelan regime. Yes. Uh, but so, so in other many, words, you have to assume um, he opened the door. Do we are are we to assume that Tariq opened the door? He's part of it. 
open the door to Middle Eastern influence no, in he Venezuela. Open the door. He's part of. Oh it. no 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 no. I mean that goes way back. Like I yeah. said, that 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 goes back. You know, at, at the minimum, um, you know, to the Hezbollah uh, diaspora movement to South America. Like I said, 1970s until. In 1990, Hezbollah came into being, was formed, yes. created by the Iranian IRGC in southern Lebanon, early 1980s. And, and from that point onwards, uh, they had a presence in South America. Now, when you say these tunnels, you suspect that they could possibly be also involved on the border, uh, uh, building tunnels for drug trafficking? Yeah, we find oh, them all absolutely, the time. Oh, absolutely, yes. Um, I've had... Uh, the the wonderful experience of traveling to Israel a number of times, and on one of those trips, uh, our guides took us to a tunnel that had been discovered on the border between Gaza and Israel, and uh, it had been mostly blocked off, of course, but they left um, the front part of it on the Israel side open so we could go in and look. And uh, it was very sophisticated, completely concrete lined. It had a little rail line for a rail car down the middle of it. It had uh, electric uh, electric power for uh, ventilation. Uh, and, and it is the same exact kind of tunnel um, that, that you'll see across the, the uh, southern uh, border, yeah. Mexico, and uh, to, into the United States. Um, of course, we know that Hamas trains with Hezbollah. Never mind, yes, the one is Sunni, the other is Shiite. Forget that part. Uh, they do work together, uh, Dar al-Islam versus Dar al-Harb, uh, and they train together uh, up in Lebanon. Hamas operatives go up there. They learn techniques. They come back to Gaza. Uh, those same tunneling techniques that you see on the Gaza border, on the Lebanon border, on our southern border, too. So what I wanted to say is that uh, Hezbollah is not really operating in the counter-narcotics uh, arena in competition with the Mexican drug cartels or others, but rather uh, in collaboration right. or cooperation with them, and they trade off. So, um, Well, hard, good old hard cash is a perfect... Off. I mean, hard cash is probably the... It's synonymous with drug dealing, but it's also synonymous with arms dealing and uh, explosives. And human trafficking. All of that. All of that goes across... Um, uh, the border, uh, and uh, you know, sometimes it gets caught, sometimes it doesn't. Yes, and they just, and then you just sit back and wait for the call. Yeah, it's really it's really amazing uh, that the president hasn't used that connection, considering that you all have got the information right there in D.C. Why hasn't he associated Hezbollah with the southern border? Uh, well, I suppose that inside of. Uh, the frontline agencies, I mean, DEA, for example, and FBI, I mean, they know perfectly well, you know, that this, this involves Hezbollah. Um, it, it may not necessarily be broadcast on the evening news, but um, those agencies and CBP, Customs and Border Protection, you know, that are on the front lines, they know. Uh, they counter it every day. Um, you know, the other thing is, of course, we know that Iran and Hezbollah were deeply involved in the attacks of 9-11. Um, and so that is something else that needs to be factored in here. We know they've already hit us in the homeland. It's not like it's it's some kind of precedent that they would do so. They've already done it. Yeah, they've already done uh, it. And they got away with it. So um, it's, uh, you know, uh, a, a very dangerous situation that we're facing. So uh, most of your intel is for training purposes of law enforcement officials, or do you actually have a political action group that actually... Uh, pushes a legislation? No, we do not have a PAC. Um, 
the uh, the information that I've been telling you about right here, I most often um, either I write about it, I do publish, uh, but also I use it for these training classes, like I said, both civilians uh, and also law enforcement at the local level, police departments, sheriff's departments, and deputies. Now, is there any place that you would like to say on the air for for the community to donate and contribute to well, the, what's the your center? Website? What's your website? Yes, the website, absolutely. So uh, the long URL is www.centerforsecuritypolicy.org. If you want a shorter one, goes to the same place www.securefreedom.org. Yeah, that one. That's that's very catchy on the radio. Securefreedom.org. And you guys. Yeah, that's a lot shorter. You guys publish uh, stuff all the time on on these topics. Uh, yes, if you go to that website, you will see a tab called publications at the top, and there listed uh, will be a whole um, series of books. One of our series that we call the Civilization Jihad Reader Series is all about. Uh, the nonviolent, the non-kinetic uh, Islamic movement civilization or stealth jihad uh, uh, threat, and then also we have a civil or we have a jihad uh, re- threat in a reader series, and that is about specific groups like uh, the Islamic State, uh, Tablighi Jamaat, uh, Hizbut Tahrir, and others um, that uh, we profile in a series of monographs. So. All of those things you can find at the website, as well as occasional papers, which are uh, shorter works, um, papers rather than monographs or books, and um, they are uh, also listed there at the website. Now, uh, one thing that's uh, always peculiar, um, why in your explanations uh, is ex- there's no mention of Cuba playing a role in the intel or the training of terrorism and, or and anything? And also in the drug trafficking. The drug trafficking. Why is it that, that Cuba never comes up? Is it because it's too close to us and nobody wants to address it for the threat that it is? Or is it because I'm being totally imaginary and creating my own narrative and Cuba is not involved at all? I, I, I don't think I quite understood what you meant there. What, what um, is Cuba's why involvement? Address... Why doesn't Cuba come up And when you, when you in your intel, in your research of, of these movements between Hezbollah influences and countries like Venezuela, and these tunnels that you see here, there, and, and everywhere, there's no role that Cuba plays in any of this? Oh, well, I mean, again, the frontline agencies know, um, and, and it's been publicized. There is a Hezbollah base of operations on Cuba, has been for quite a number of years now. Um, it, it, that is that is well known. Um but it, no, it, it doesn't get a lot of publicity, but it ought to, because you can see the involvement of, of this uh, axis of, of evil, of, of, of these different players, these hostile, uh, malign actors in the Western Hemisphere, which include Cuba, of course, communist uh, Cuba, um, Hezbollah, Iran, Venezuela. Um, and uh, you know, people should know about that, absolutely. There is a Hezbollah base on Cuba and has been for a while, which is why, you know, the, um, the the expanding presence, not just of Cubans in Venezuela, which is happening, um, but of outside, uh, even, even uh, you know, more threatening powers like Russia right. and, and its presence, uh, increasing presence, apparently, uh, in Venezuela is, is especially threatening. And I think, you know, as we were talking about this broadcast beforehand, we were 
um, mentioning the Monroe Doctrine and how the Monroe Doctrine uh, promulgated uh, in a State of the Union address um, back in 1823 by then-President uh, James Monroe uh, is more than ever applicable now, you know, to um, the outside interference by Russia uh, in, in this hemisphere and uh, in, in Venezuela. In about three or four years ago, Secretary of State Kerry declared that the Monroe Doctrine is dead. Yeah, that's classic. That's his view. Yeah, well, uh, it's not dead. They're alive and well, but didn't didn't the Treaty of Relations of '34 pretty much nullify the Platt Amendment as well as the Monroe Doctrine in its effectiveness? Well, I mean, I, as we're just saying, no, it is it is not nullified. Right. It is not dead. It is uh, very much applicable right now, and um, I think needs to be. Uh, brought out again and dusted off. Yeah, I well, think this new administration uh, definitely is uh, reviving the Monroe Doctrine. Well, yes, it seems to me. I mean, both the president, President Trump, and National Security Advisor John Bolton have been very clear uh, in warning Russia um, that they must remove their um, their military presence um, in, in the Western Hemisphere in uh, Venezuela specifically, um, and um, you know that they they have both said in in no uncertain terms um, that this is a red line for us. This is a red line uh, for the United States, uh, and that Russia and Iran must not be permitted, will not be permitted. And I've heard them use the, the term uh, by any means necessary. Right. Will not be permitted uh, uh, from turning uh, to turn Venezuela into a strategic threat in our own backyard in this hemisphere. Now, is there any talk uh, going forward, is there any uh, talk you're hearing in your circles about the encouraging nature or the, just the extending the encouragement to the country of Brazil now that they have a very uh, conservative and law and order kind of guy in Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro yeah. uh, to encourage him uh, to buy weapons from the United States and start fortifying his arms is, uh, well, I, I don't necessarily know about uh, those discussions, if any, yet. Um, but I do know um, that uh, the relationship between Brazil and the United States uh, is definitely um, on an upward uh, trend track. Uh, that uh, President Trump and uh, Brazil's President Bolsonaro um, have spoken. Uh, they are very much of like mind on any number of things, uh, including, for example, um, Israel, relationships right. with Israel, moving uh, embassy uh, to uh, Jerusalem, as the United States has already done, and President Bolsonaro has said that he will do for uh, Brazil uh, as well. That's, um, that's two huge countries uh, on this side of the world. Right. Very encouraging, because yes, I think there's, t- sure I th- is. there's something that is of my opinion in a book that I wrote. Um, the harsh reality that terrorism is consuming so much of our space and intelligence space, because it's obviously a direct threat, and we have been attacked. It seems to me that the United States, at this point in history, literally has to pivot to its its most sacred ground, which is its neighbors to the south, to keep the communists, fascists, Islamists uh, from Latin America, because. People don't want to realize, and it's so obvious to me, it should be obvious to everyone, that 
if the two continents were to fortify their alliances in a very cohesive manner, which I know is not easy considering the delicate nature of the third world economies, but it's the strongest economic and use, you know, union humankind has ever seen with the, with the vast resources that both continents have and the greatest asset of them all is fresh water supply. South America and North America, simply put, if unified, uh, is the future of the human race. It really is. It's just it's an unbeatable economic force. And I don't know why the United States doesn't, uh, maybe this situation in Venezuela will procure this and think tanks like yourselves would look into it, how we can militarize and maybe, uh, well, maybe to militarize, I hate to say it, in community radio we should say it, we should just be straight up, militarize. But I know the PC version would be simply lift the arms embargo that Jimmy Carter has imposed on Latin American economies, let them buy weapons from the United States and arm themselves. Well, I think this Venezuela situation is bringing closer the militaries and defense establishments of Brazil, the United States, Canada is Colombia. backing up, Colombia too, and so Chile. So, what do you think about what do you think about that? Is that is that too soon to? To call, or are there just not enough resources to investigate further than you might have already? What do you think well, about... I, mean, I guess what I would say is that the United States and Brazil now have a whole spread of um, issues uh, on which, uh, you know, they, they, they coincide, we coincide, you know, in outlook and, and policy. And I think there's going to be a great deal of discussion about a whole range of things from trade and commerce, um, you know, to... to uh, all kinds of other investment. Um, it, it, it really, with, with the election of Bolsonaro, really opens up the possibility for a, a really completely revamped relationship between our two countries, and that's only to the good, really. And so he, and it's true that he is encouraging Trump to uh, establish an American base in Brazil, or is that just fodder? Uh, I have not seen that. No, so, so that's just. But they're certainly they're closer. The mil- two militaries are closer, and you can see it in uh, in the Venezuela situation and well, Colombia too. Yeah, I believe that. Well, we uh, had planned Colombia since uh, two thousand. But Obama was sabotaging it and delaying many portions of it of the the full uh, full. That was Bill Clinton's uh, program. Yes, and uh, but the the deciding votes I believe was during the Obama administration to actually deliver. Mm. Uh, the military armaments involved in Plan Colombia. But that's always been a anti-counter-drug uh, enforcement uh, uh, contract, uh, correct? Yeah, but in Colombia, the drug lords are also the socialist guerrillas. That's... Yes, both of those things. But, uh, but because the, the, the guerrillas, like the FARC, uh, have been uh, so much involved um, in, uh, and ELN has been you know, very much involved in the uh, narcotics trafficking. Yes, so it's both things, you know, together. Well, you know, it's uh, the it's a real eye opener for our audience, I'm sure, because these are things that just don't get talked about uh, only on the, these type of radio stations. I, it's just not everybody else is just uh, uh, too too involved in entertainment and not enough involved uh, on knowledge, especially for a, a city like South Florida, which encompasses so many people impacted by communists who've have all of us. I mean, I was born free simply because of a revolution in Cuba. And Ed uh, was born free just because he became my co-host here on the on Blink Radio. <laughs> you know? That's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Well, thank you very much for your call. It's uh, 
I would I would like to have you back again, and uh, so I can yeah, do some more touch. research. And, and let's find out what happened in Paris. Well, sure. So, um, as as your listeners no doubt know, uh, Notre Dame, the magnificent 12th century cathedral uh, in downtown Paris, uh, burned today. Um, but but the latest news um, is that. Uh, due to the heroic efforts of the firefighters, um, they have saved its basic structure um, uh, from this massive blaze, although um, much, much has been uh, damaged. The iconic spire at the top of the cathedral, for example, uh, has, has fallen in the roof, um, which was made of wood, right. uh, and this is why they burned, I guess, so badly, uh, built of wood back yep. in the 12th century. That is all gone. The roof is gone. But the iconic uh, facade, if you can picture this, with the two towers in the front and uh, the, the stained glass window in the front, they've saved that. And the, 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 the structure, the outer uh, you know, frame of the building is is of stone, heavy, heavy stone, and that structure has been saved. Um, but there's going to be a tremendous amount of um, reconstruction to be done. Uh, the other good news, on uh, if there is to be any on on this this tragedy, um, is that uh, as the fire uh, was even just beginning, um, but also due to renovation that was going on at at the cathedral. Uh, anyway, many of the treasures from inside the cathedral were saved. They were gotten out either because of the uh, the renovation going on. They took them out earlier, uh, or as the fire started today, uh, they went in and they were able to remove uh, some of the the most precious treasures uh, inside of Notre Dame. Um, but there's well, that's a, that's a relief. enormous amount of damage. So naturally, uh, speaking to a. NASA security expert, you don't think it's foul play, anything to do with it's terror? Too early, too we early. just do not know yet. It is way too early to say or to speculate on what caused the blaze. We simply have to say at this point we do not know. Okay, but Claire, we're going to have you back to talk about that. But let me just sure. give you a, a fact. Uh, on April 6th, several deputies of the National Assembly in France uh, uh, complained and issued a press release, I guess, at a press conference saying that there were over 60 Christian churches and other buildings in France that had been attacked since the beginning of the year. Yes, this goes on all over Europe, unfortunately. So I I wonder if if the the two things might be related. We can wonder, we can speculate, but we have to identify this as speculation at this point in time until the investigation is done. Yeah, okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see... Uh, what's going on and whether, because you're right, it's all over Europe. Uh, it's in Germany and uh, Spain and other places as well. Well, yes, thank you for the wonderful amount of time you dedicated to us. We really appreciate it. I hope you can uh, take we'll, some time out there and, and come back to us here on The Concrete Conservative. We'll be in touch. Thank you very much for having me. I'll be glad to come back again. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. That's amazing. Uh, you know, there's really a lot of issues out there that you don't hear about, and uh, all this Middle East influence in Latin America through Venezuela and into the U.S. Since the 70s! Yeah, that's 75, the Civil War. Wow! And, yeah. and, and I knew, you know, uh, Mike Now, Pompeo, of course, you have to repeat to what? the audience who we just spoke to. We talked to Claire Lopez. She's vice president for research at the Center for Security Policy. 
They're concerned with all national security issues. They're a think tank in the swamp, District of Columbia. And she is uh, reputed to be a former CIA analyst, although she will neither confirm nor deny that accusation. Well, it's not an accusation. It's an identification. Allegation. Allegation identification. Yeah, so we get, uh, you know, these top... Top callers into our program. Victorious Vidal does it again. I take no credit for anyone who calls in into the concrete concern. Inquisitive questions. Um, well, you know, Manny, I, Lance, I definitely go into the underlying matter, though. Right. Absolutely. No. This is a this is a serious issue. Uh, Mike Pompeo was in Paraguay last week. What is it about the U.S. president not going to these countries? Well, Bush, he doesn't Bush, have to be the one to go. Bush went there and was frowned upon by the two Kirshner no, freaks. No, uh, no. but Mike Pompeo Bill was in Paraguay. He went to, he, I think didn't he went Bill to go to Latin America in his eight years? I have no idea. Peru, uh, he went to Peru and Colombia, Pompeo. So he's doing good work, and I think it shows that he's aware of the danger there. And like you said, it's a danger right in our backyard. I mean, the Middle East is way far away, and it's just unfortunate because Southeast I hate Asia. to say it, but you know it's about the Benjamins, and the money is is anti-terror money. The money that's being raised for these think tanks, the money that's being dedicated for new weaponry to fight terror. It's all with a Middle East involved in mind. Therefore, you know the industrial military complex rules in these matters, and there's just not a sure firefight in Latin America. It just isn't. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you could see it when we went to Vietnam. What the hell were we doing there when there was a communist 90 miles away, you know? And and the arming of Cuba back in the 70s that she talked about, just during the missile crisis alone, remember that map I told you about that was Mm -hmm. sold at auction that showed not that there was a missile crisis, that Cuba was armed to the teeth (laughs) in Russian weaponry Estimated 80 million dead if the missile crisis broke out because of the stuff the Russians already had installed in Cuba. And the map shows it with identifiers and everything. The map that Kennedy was looking at during the missile crisis, it was so valuable and so uh, believed to be so truthful that someone bought it for $114,000, $113,000 at auction. And it was a real scary thing to think that um, and I was not even born yet, and how dare they do this while I'm... Well, I was right there, so I would have gotten nuked right away. But... And uh, it was uh, 25,000 troops, American troops would have died, but 80 million American citizens would have died. Well, it's interesting that all this really is exacerbates the other, the Ill- illegal immigration crisis, the human uh, trafficking crisis, the drug importation. All these things are related. Uh, it's all coming from Latin America, and we need to wake up and you know uh, extend our defenses down, not not wait for things to come here. Okay, so now it's time for talking about our gentleman friend, Which United one? States Senator from New York, Which one Mr. Is that? Charles Goodell. All right, was he, he a was, senator? He was a U.S. representative. Okay. Then after after Robert Kennedy. Um, was assassinated. He filled that position. Uh, Rockefeller, Governor oh, Rockefeller, appointed him. Yes, uh, Governor Rockefeller appointed him to the vacancy caused by the assassination of Robert Kennedy serving Congress. Right, and he was Republican. Well, that's a Senate seat. Uh, so Robert, a, Ke- wait, wait, wait. So wait. he was a congressman who was appointed to replace uh, as, Robert Kennedy. As a, it was Robert Kennedy was a senator from New York. Right, 
Yes. So, yes, let me be clear. He was a U.S. representative who became the senator of New York because Nelson Rockefeller appointed him right. after the, uh, the vacancy that was caused by the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Right. Then he was beaten uh, by James Buckley, who there was a three-man race, and conservative James Buckley beat him. And In 1970. Yes. So that's, that's a brother of William F. Buckley, I think. And he was a one-term uh, senator from New York from 70 to 76. And then uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan. But apparently, uh, wait a minute, time out. It, mm-hmm. it seems, yeah, Buckley was the conservative candidate. Right. But the, the, somehow the Democratic Party vote was split with a guy named Richard Ottinger. Okay. Ottinger. Mm-hmm. So... That means that Charles uh, represented more of a liberal side of New York yes. politics as a Republican. He was a Rockefeller Republican. So he was as liberal as they came. Liberal Republican. And I, 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 I didn't realize that race had run that way, but Buckley was a conservative. In New York, uh, on the ballot, you have several parties. You have the Republicans and the Democrats, but the conservative party has a line, and there have been other parties, libertarian, socialist served, workers. He served in the Navy. He also served in the Air Force. And he was the first lieutenant in the Korean War. Okay. So what makes these people liberal, man, when they fight communists? Why do they come back here and act like them? I don't know. It just drives me nuts. Why is it that the human mind can't figure out that, you know, the, I don't claim that, that that all Democrats are communists. Obviously not. I'm not that ridiculous because that would be fodder and that would be rhetorical and that would be just... A, 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 a yeah, but total hyperbole. The, why don't they see but the danger? I, they, what I do say that if they are American communists in this country, as we know they are, they all are welcome in the Democratic Party. Right. I mean, hell, Herman Cain can't even have a girlfriend before we get rid of him in the primaries. Mm. They're, they're violators. Make it all the way to the top. That's right. And get reelected. And then when I used to make that statement all the time, I got to lower my voice now. Why? Beca- because... Donald Trump likes women, too. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. There's a big difference. You know, there's a there's a big difference. There's a double standard between unbelievable. Democrats and Republicans. Yes, and for this nation to be fixed, it has to be looking down to our kids and feel the pain of having screwed them. And people don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about the harsh reality that we screwed these young you kids. You mean the debt, the regulations, the How about the, the crummy school system we gave the them? The crummy school system. I How agree. about a bunch of teachers' unions that, that pick it in front of our children? Mm-hmm. Come on, what about that? What about being looking at your window, going to class, getting there on time? Substitute teacher says, hey, read your comic books because your teachers are downstairs picketing. Mm. Come on, man, that stuff is a blasphemy. That's disgusting human adult immaturity. And it goes on and on and on and on. And look, you see them acting like Europeans now. Tattoos from toe to top, you know? Mm-hmm. And all that stuff was in Europe 20 years before the United States. Before it used to be the fringe of our society. Now the most beautiful women are, are on Instagram saying, should I get a tattoo? Are you kidding me? That stuff's wet wallpaper, man. It's yesterday's news. You, you look like an old newspaper with tattoos. Last time on Instagram, but I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, well, guess what? They, are those I'm trying to reach out to and try to get in their heads and let them know that I'm here to confess that my generation not only poorly raised you because we're all divorced, and me included. I'm not passing judgment on divorced people mm-hmm. because I am one of them. So I am passing judgment on divorced people because I am one of them. That hurt this country, and... Another Democratic Party 
signed on by a Republican, Ronald Reagan, Family Act of 1970. Made in California. In California. Written by the Association of Women's Attorneys. There you go. <laughs> so I can get the fart on attorneys again. They wrote the white paper in 1948. It took them to 1968 to get it through the legislature. Reagan, who got who won oh, the, that no-fault divorce? No-fault divorce. In the name of perjury, both spouses do not need to prove who screwed up the marriage. We just call it irreconcilable differences, and women get to have all the man's chip. Property? All his ships. And guess what? Back then, there was a real disparaging... I mean, a disparity between incomes. So obviously, mm-hmm. the divorcee who got the house never got to keep the house because they're going to foreclosure. Mm-hmm. And the breadwinner might have lost his job throughout this process because he was spending on legal fees and his mind was somewhere else during mm-hmm. work. And it, and and it shows that some some men don't ever bounce back. And that's what's crushed the middle class since 1970. It has nothing to do with the one percent. The breakup of the family. Yes, and that is just a synopsis from my book, The Fiscals. When's the it coming out? When's it coming out? Well, you know who's now got my book in his hands. He who's decides. That? Who? Adam Levinson. Oh, really? A Democrat. Great, great. great. He says good. that as of today, he's, he's going to be editing. He's going to be reading it at night for typos and prose, and see if there's any suggestions he can make. And I told, him, look, you're going to be offended. Can you actually do this? He goes, I do it all the time. The test of a scholar. Test of a scholar. I go, but I'm insulting you the whole time. He goes. Perhaps, but you have your freedom of speech rights. That was this classic Adam, you know, postured response. So that's it. And then uh, the final, the final. I was waiting all this time for the final you know, closing argument uh, behind the Fernandez Cristobal School Board of Miami-Dade County mm-hmm. lawsuit. Uh, that I was hoped to testify in, that never got an opportunity because no, the, I mean there's no way the 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 principals who who sued the city or the school board had no had no way to win because if they were employees of the school board and their salaries and compensation was not affected, the school board can tell them what to do and can put them wherever they want. So and, and they but it was a freedom of speech case. Well, they had no freedom of speech. Yeah, no, and that's why you know in in the NBA. Uh, a player cannot disrespect the flag. It's not a freedom of speech. It's an employment issue. Right. The employee. You're wearing the jersey. You right. represent our brand. You, and you Shut get, up and so play. You, you have to do that, right? And the NFL sells their soul. Well, that's right, because uh, Goodell didn't uh, hold out for that. Because his father, Charles, was a flim flam. His father, Charles, so was, was in the a DNA Rockefeller pool. Republican. Yes. So uh, it, it, it's, it's one of those things. He died in 1987, Charles. 87, Good, okay. Goodell. And I would love to just delve into this um, uh, with more detail, but guess what? Considering the awesome show we had, we're down to 14 minutes. I will not give Charles Goodell that much attention. Well, you know, one thing that we missed last week was we were supposed to have an, uh, respond to an interview from Howard Schultz. He was on tele- uh, Sunday night uh, TV. I saw some He was of that. impressive. You think Sorry he's to impressive? Say it. For the flim flam liberal, absolutely. That he sinks in, he runs into the race. Donald Trump gets reelected because that guy will split the Democratic vote. He's very appealing. You think he'll be? Uh, he'll he would be get. He would time? get a big chunk of independence. The independents that did not vote for Trump this time will continue not to vote for Trump the next time. And what saves Donald Trump is what say what has elected the last six presidents: the Hispanic vote and the nibbling of the African American vote. 
because he gets – like Candace Owens has said it. We get 10% more of you to vote for your president, Donald J. Trump. Donald Trump will be reelected, right. and that's like why the Democrats are the, the Democrats shipping in their pants. Ninety percent of the African American vote. Well, Hispanics sixty percent. The, the, the Hispanics Hispanic vote. vote in the key battleground states uh, are the reasons Florida. for Clinton's reelection, Obama's reelection, George Bush's reelection. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. Uh, the Hispanic vote is just growing and growing and growing, and unfortunately. Because America doesn't want to tie that knot with Latin America that I suggested mm-hmm. um, earlier, we might be missing the boat. And guess what? The white Anglo birth rate is sinking fast. Negative. Well, I'm contributing territory. to it. Well, you had two children. You and right. I are not contributing to it. We need to have three children. We need per to have fertile. more children. You need to have three children per fertile no, woman it's, it's in order too, to sustain a civilization. It's too late for me. Yeah, it's too late. And but my not too late for me though. No, no. Um, you can still do it. I got the technology. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the six. What does that make me? The six penny man or the six million dollar man? <laughs> well, let me let me um, re- respond to three of the issues that Howard Schultz raised because I think you're right. I think he's probably going to run this year. He's going to be especially the... if a Looney Tude wins on on the lefty side. Who? If a oh. Looney Tude like like our boy right now, uh, Bernie Sanders trying oh, to appeal Bernie to Sanders, Fox right. audience. Bernie Sanders. He's running his mouth as we speak. Yeah, I think that's pretty amazing. Well, give me your points again. Well, uh, so in 1992, Ross Perot took 19% of the popular vote. You think Howard Schultz could come to uh, that kind of a, a, a percentage with the Democrats in 2020? You said he was going to split the Democrat vote. He could be he could be in double digits. I Yeah, I could see a, a man like him taking a place like California. Really? A place like New York and a place Colorado. like Colorado. I don't know if he can take Colorado. Maybe he could. It depends. What if Washington it's, State? It could be Bernie Sanders versus Howard Schultz. Yeah, Washington Bernie, State. Bernie, Bernie, I don't think he's going to make it. Bernie's no? going to flame out. I I think it's going to be uh, Kamara Harris. So, so he could be the Ross Perot against Kamala I think Harris. He'll, I think he'll beat everybody here. Beto and Kamala. He'll beat everybody here, and he doesn't realize that he should be running in the Democratic Party. He'll be the Ross Perot. He'll be the Ross Perot. Only, yeah, only he'll be the Ralph Nader. Right. So, okay, so let me give you the three points that I I got from his uh, interview. Uh, First of all, he said that he wanted abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. That was Bill Clinton's formula back in the 1990s. And so he's trying to go back in time. I think that's impossible to do today because both sides have gone further in each direction. Tamara mentioned about how young people are coming out against abortion. The problem is that the new technology allows you to see. Wait a minute! I thought I said that. No, no you said. Well, okay. You Come said on, Ed. The new technology allows you to see that there's a little person inside the womb fighting off. The yeah, I, that was terrible. The 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 clamps and and it's the, called a cranula tool. Yeah. The well, gentleman who testified in Congress showed yep. you how he grips his finger. And, and you can you can see it on television. The oh, little he didn't baby call it the cranula tool. He is called fighting it the... off this uh, tool that comes in and rips him apart. Well, that's the opening scene in this movie. In uh, Unplanned? Unplanned. Oh, my gosh. It's the opening so, scene. The technology... But they didn't, use the, they didn't use the tool. They used the suction. Well, um, same thing. And then the and then on the other side, the, the left side, the pro-abortion side, is going off... Off the rails. They're, they're now for infanticide. 
for you know that the she did mention. Out. She reminded us the, the baby's of coming Mario out, Cuomo's. and the the governor of Virginia, who's a medical doctor, said, "Oh, we'll make the baby comfortable, and then we'll for decide its last days, and we'll decide where to kill for him." For its last hours, shoot him, you know. And and then this legislator in Virginia who was being asked during a hearing, and the the Republican was asking her, and she's. He, she, he said, well, does that mean that you could have this procedure right up until the birth? And she said, yes. So she was not shying away. She wasn't mincing words. And, and in New York, the state legislature, the Senate at least, gave a, a standing ovation for the, the infanticide bill. So I think both sides have gone further apart. And I, I think Howard Schultz is not going to be able to go back to the Bill Clinton uh, formulation to kind of put this away. Abortion is going to be a big issue in 2020. And well, guess what? With this. I don't believe it's a big issue. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fodder. Uh, mm-hmm. If the Republicans delve into that issue, they're going to get slammed by Well, women. it'll be a polarizing. They don't have to delve in because there's so many other groups that are raising well, it. It'll be remember, a polarizing uh, issue. Look what, uh, look what Ohio just did today. Right. The hardest beating the can't heartbeat abort. And that's, and that's like eight weeks. That's a challenge, yep. That's okay, that direct... that pisses off a lot of women. Well, there's a lot of women who don't believe in God. Well, there's a lot of women who don't even and see men. women. They just just talk about women. Women okay. are the ones that, uh, like Farrakhan said, if they love you, they give you your children. If they hate you, they, they terminate. Their they friends. kill the children. Right. Well, guess what? In the third scene, uh, in the movie, in unpl- unplanned. Yes, the second abortion she has was because uh, her. Husband had an affair. Oh, so she and decided. She was pregnant. I'm going to kill your baby. I'm going to kill your baby because I'm I'm splitting up with you. Right. And guess what? You know our marriage is going to be broke. There's no way I'm going to have this child a reflection right. of you. Absolutely. So the poor child takes the blunt, and that's probably twenty percent, forty percent. And if Farrakhan is correct, it's a hundred percent that when when women fall out of love and they happen to be pregnant at the moment they fell out of love. They say, well, I don't want to carry this child. I don't want to carry this his jerk, child. This jerk's it's all child. This jerk's child. Right. And it's only his child right. at the moment of impasse. Right. It wasn't his child when she decided to abort it. Now, the other a second point that he makes is he asks everyone, you know, who approves of the federal government? And of course, nobody approves. So he comes out. He tries to come out as some knight in shining armor. Uh, you know, no, nobody's uh, bipartisan from all sides disapproval of the federal government. But I, I thought that there are three policies that the federal government has undertaken under the Trump administration that I totally approve of and want to see more of. Number one is lower taxes and also tax reform so that America no longer taxes corporations on their worldwide income, only on the income in the U.S., and that was something we we're totally behind we the rest of the world. Left 11 trillion overseas. I well, agree with that's you. right. So that one I agree with one. you only because I'm accepting to the notion that you could care less whether we ever get rid of the income tax or not. Well, that that'll come later. But at least we're having lower taxes and fairer taxes. Number two, reasonable deregulation, especially in the energy and environmental fields. We got out of that Paris Climate Accord. We're drilling as much as we can. Uh, the Trumpster over the weekend uh, issued some executive orders to facilitate the building of uh, pipelines, including up to the New England. The New York State is not allowing pipelines or to be fracking. built. Or fracking. Well, fracking is, yeah, absolutely, but they're not allowing The North pipelines. votes for it, and, well, and, and New York City no, votes no, it? No. New, New England is uh, is needs 
natural gas and also parts of New York. And so the New York State is not allowing pipelines to be built. So all this gas that's coming out of western Pennsylvania is stuck there. And so that's a good thing. Reasonable and on top of that, they, they want uh, the best way to, to not uh, mine for coal is to right. allow f- what gas. you're saying. <laughs> the best alternative. You can't, hello? Natural, it's clean burning and it's renewable. I mean, there's a lot of it. And it comes from the center of the earth. And then finally, he tried, uh, Howard Schultz is a CEO of Starbucks. Obviously, he's a capitalist hero, captain of industry, he would be called. But he he wasn't the founder of Starbucks. No, he wasn't, but he built it into what it is. Yes. Uh, But the trouble is that capitalist entrepreneurial heroes are not respected by the Democrat Party. And maybe that's the reason he's not running in the Democrat primary. He would be the only businessman. Quite frankly, here's mm-hmm. my my shtick on this. Mm-hmm. I believe he wants to assure himself and in the United States that Trump gets reelected. Really? Yes. Because if he wins, he wins. Right? Right. Just like Trump. If right. I beat her, I beat her. Right. These guys are more American and more money than they are um, ideologues. Okay. Okay, because Trump, you realize... He ran on He's just lying Ted right. and right, right, right. and low energy Jeb. He didn't have a platform. He just wanted to beat Hillary. Well, Schultz doesn't want these people to win. Plain and simple. Doesn't want who to win? Ber- uh, Bernie Sanders and right. all these people. What but he about- knows that if he fails, he guarantees Trump's reelection, right. which is better. It's the lesser of two evils for him. For all wealthy people. Really. Yeah, because of the tax cuts. He realized he the guy stirred up the yeah, economy. Yeah, but what about people like Tom Steyer and George Soros? They're they're wealthy and they're anti-Trump. Yeah, but they're 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 not, they're not Howard Schultz. Yeah, put put Steyer up against Schultz. Schultz beats him. Put, Absolutely. Schultz will beat everybody because there's a certain tenacity about something that is common thread. You know what Schultz has mm-hmm. is what perhaps the founders of Coca-Cola had. It was. What Starbucks today, Coca-Cola was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And we, growing up, never thought Coca-Cola would be a struggling company. And guess what? All all their all their increase in sales is not in the United States. They're abroad. Right. They're a mega brand now. That's why they were in Beijing before any other American right, right, company. Right. They're all over the so world. So they saw that eventually they are going to get comp in the States. Well, There's Starbucks th- is growing all over the world, too. Well, now you've got something... Well, the reason why I compared it to Coca-Cola is because it, it used to have caffeine in it. Right. It used to have cocaine in it. Well, yeah, cocaine, <laughs> yes. So it's something it that's hard. It still has caffeine. It's still, it's still, sorry, it, that's what I meant to say, that it had cocaine in it they, with the caffeine. Yep. So the correlation between coffee and Coke are, are synonymous, I know, because coffee's on my mind within three or four minutes of waking up. <laughs> within three minutes. It's urinal, coffee machine. Okay. Sometimes it's coffee machine just to press the button because... I turned it off so I can mm-hmm. turn it back on. Then you're on back to the coffee machine. That's just my life, and I'm assuming that that mo- oh, like most people live that way. Okay. And I believe that American coffee is stronger than the espresso, and yet the the word out there is that our coffee is stronger. The Cuban coffee, the Cuban coffee is burnt. Can't possibly have the caffeine. It's in too sweet. And, well, the sugar is another issue because that's something that you can't add less or more of. But the American coffee doesn't get roasted as much as the Cuban coffee does. Okay. Cuban coffee is actually an inferior coffee, even mm-hmm. though it's been in, in our veins growing mm-hmm. up. In your case, I think it was put in my... Café con leche. I believe breakfast. it was put in my in my milk bottle. I really do. <laughs> I think my mom just put that in my milk bottle just to get me to, to be happy or something because I was a stutterer by first mm-hmm. grade. So 
you know, I can see me stuttering because I had a little bit of coffee. <laughs> I mean, first grade, I already had four years of coffee in my mouth. I'm excuse me, mom, man. I'm just. So you think that Schultz will be a will be a strong candidate in 2020, a third party candidate? So is he going to be in the in the? Uh, in it's the, the general... mo- it's the most perfect moment in his life. Yeah, he's handsome. He's articulate. He's wealthy. He's patient. He's thorough. He's going to be in the debates. There's going to be a three-man debate, like with and, Ross Perot. Yeah, man, and he'd be able to debate. He'll be able to debate. He'll look like a mild-mannered. So how can he get on all fifty states? I guess third that's party. the big issue. That's a huge. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a big deal, and that's why he may not be able to run. Mm-hmm. I remember Newt not being able to get on all the ballots. Remember, yeah, Newt, well, had a... Newt didn't have a serious campaign, but Ross Perot got on enough ballots to get nineteen percent of the popular money. vote. Big money. So he's going to have to spend a lot of money on Notice lawyers when, getting him on. I said this before in our show. Remember when Ross Perot thought he was going to win, and he put that Dumbo vice right. president, yeah, the, the drunk, yeah. to go up in front of Quail and just flounder the election right there. After It was the only Republic vice presidential debate well, that sabotaged the presidential Didn't he suspend the, uh, his campaign, Ross Perot, there for a while, too? I think he might have done that. So that was 92. All right, this is the end of our show. I want to close the show with a very blind recording on YouTube of the day my father invited Ronald Reagan to the Esquina de Tejas restaurant, and he's going to make a statement, and it's on YouTube, and it was just sent to me right when the show was on. I don't know what it says. I, I'm assuming that I've already heard this before, but my brain was clearer in 1983 than it is today. So I'm going to play it to end the Concrete Conservative show now at 7 o'clock. The worst has happened right in the Now he's in the restaurant. It's going to be there. What is that? It's going to exist. It's a location where my father built 60 apartments. 12th Avenue and Southwest First Street, adjacent to the Fire, Firestone Tire Company. Now my father's there and my father's there. I see my dad in the same color suit. Viva Rio! Viva Havana! And there's the back of my head, and for the first time I get to see myself. I'm wearing two glasses. The Mascanosa has just sat down, the two owners of the restaurant, Lucero Chamiso. The first time I get to see my... Uh, how close I was to the table. There's Sam Donaldson. Here's Sam Donaldson. Put the microphone. I was complaining about that microphone. I think I told you that story that I was set with a microphone. Now I'm hanging over my shoulder. I'm not liking it one bit. I know if you can imagine. I'm so happy to see this video. All right, well, we get to, we don't get to see the streets. We got to go through statues and stories. Sorry, folks.
Yes, Mark Newman, how are you? This is uh, Mac on the Rock and Ed Vidal with the Concrete Concern. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube, Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.